Let me make a couple of introduction statements before we get into this doctrine of, of sin. That is our doctrine today. It's, it's lesson uh, eight. And so, you know, I think, why, why are we doing this? And it's always a good question to ask yourself. Any, anytime you do something in life, especially if you do something in church life, why are we doing this? Does this further our purpose and mission as a, as a church? Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, you know, what, what, is our, what is our purpose as a church at Great Hills Baptist Church? To be a radiant church that does what? Anybody? We shine in what way? Up in what? In worship. Amen. Upward in worship, we shine inward in discipleship. And that's what this is. This is a time of discipleship and teaching. And all of that, I think, culminates in an opportunity for us to do what? Shine in what way? To shine outward in evangelism and missions. And so I, I contend that the reason we don't evangelize and go on mission for Christ is because we're not worshiping like we should and we're not in His Word and studying like we should. Because I've seen in my life, I tell you, when I am walking with the Lord and in fellowship with Him and the Holy Spirit, just filled with the Spirit of God, I tell you, it changes the way I walk. It changes the way I talk to people. So I hope this is a part of your your holistic you know, discipleship as, as a follower of Christ. The last thing I want to happen is this. I don't want us to, to get so heavenly minded we're no earthly good. Or our minds are so full that we get this kind of erudite, arrogant kind of feel about us as a Christian. I just don't, I just don't want that. I despise that. Uh, you could walk out of here today and go to your colleague at work and say, I bet you you don't know what hemartiology is. And they'll probably go, I haven't a clue. Well, let me tell you, I know what that is because I got up this morning at 5 o'clock and I went and studied. We don't, we don't want that. We want to know the Word of God and we want to be like Jesus. We want, our minds want to be full and our hearts want to be full. So I commend you. I'm glad that you're here and I'm going to pray for us and we're going to get right into this study of sin. Okay, Father, we love you and we thank you so much that this is the day that, Lord God, you have made and we rejoice. We're very glad in it. Lord, I think about that Wrecked right there at the, at the corner of Jollyville, Murado. We pray for those people involved in that. We ask you, Lord, to bring grace and bring healing. Pray that no one's hurt uh, badly. Be with those uh, first responders, God. Protect them as they're out doing their job. Thank you for getting us here safely. Thank you for the Word of God that is so powerful. And that, Lord, we could spend 10 million lifetimes studying it and never fully exhaust it because it is amazing. God, it is your Word, and it teaches us. It challenges us. I pray today, God, that you would broaden our minds. Lord, expand the horizons of our minds so that we might be able to know you more, to understand you better, and to understand your word. And then, Lord, I pray that we would put to use what we learn and what we study in this class. And I also pray, God, that it changes us. It changes us for the better, that we're more ethical, we're more moral and righteous and walking with you in a way, God, that pleases you and also in a way, Jesus that we're able to reach out to others and share with them and encourage them. So, Lord, again, thank you for the beginning, the inception of this new semester. We ask you to bless it for your glory. God, we ask you to bless each person that's in this room this morning. I ask you to be with them. And I just ask that you would make your face shine upon them, be gracious to them, encourage them. May the peace, the shalom of God rest upon them today and whatever it is they're dealing with. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so hemartiology is the study of the doctrine of hemartia. Hemartia is the Greek word for sin, and its basic rudiment meaning literally means to miss uh, the mark. And I always had it explained to me this way, and I think it's a great uh, analogy. It's kind of like an archer who shoots his arrow and it falls short of its target, or it goes over the target, or, or strays to the right or to the left. But what it does not do, it does not penetrate and hit the target. That's really a good mental picture of what sin is. Sin is us not living up to God's moral standard. In fact, it's breaking God's laws. Some people say the root of all sin is selfishness. But Grudem argues with that, and he says, no, the root of all sin is we do not measure up to God's moral standards. I tell you, the thing I got so excited about in studying this and, and teaching this this morning is, whenever I study things like sin and, and some of the harder doctrines of the faith, it always gives me a greater and deeper appreciation for 
the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the pristine nature of who God is. I would argue that most in our society uh, don't understand the nature of God. That's why we don't take sin very seriously. Uh, we forget that sin is an affront. It is, it is something that, uh, that breaks the heart of God. It is something that causes distance and separation between humanity and our, our Creator. So this is going to be an interesting lesson. You're going to say, how can you talk about sin for an hour? What, what, what will you say about it? Well, it's, it's very interesting because we're going to talk a little bit about sin in the life of an unbeliever, but we're also going to talk about sin in the life of a believer. We're going to talk about the unpardonable sin. You ever heard that doctrine of the unpardonable sin? Is there a sin that God just does not pardon? Well, of course it is. And we're going to talk about that, and it's very, very fascinating. We're going to talk about the sin of infants. What happens when infants die if they have inherited sin, original sin in them, do they go to heaven? It might surprise you what Grudem thinks about that. And so I, that's why I kind of like this book. I'm, I've gotten to know this. This is my little baby. He stays with me all the time. You know, I just rock it and just hug it and sleep with it. And a lot of this, 90% of I'd agree with, probably about 10% I, I disagree with. And, and so um, there are some things in here, probably 95% on this doctrine of sin I agree with, but a few things he states that I, uh, that I don't. Some people believe that uh, sin in the life of a believer, it can get to the point where it absolutely does not exist, that you can reach a place of moral perfectionism. It's also called entire sanctification. It, it's the doctrine, and many in the Arminian and the Wesleyan and the holiness movement literally believe this, that you can get to a point that sin is no longer any, has nothing to do with you, and you kind of gravitate or elevate to a level of sinless perfection. Well, I can go ahead and tell you right now, I absolutely do not believe in that. And Grudem, he doesn't believe in that. But there's a lot of people that do believe. In fact, the guy I wrote my Ph.D. dissertation on, he absolutely believed this. He believed that you could reach a point where you are entirely perfect, fully sanctified on this life before you go to heaven. In fact, this guy that I wrote my doctorate on, he said, well, what about that scripture that says that Paul had a thorn in the flesh and he prayed three times that God would remove it? And the guy I wrote my paper on says, that was Paul's problem. He was just unrighteous and ungodly. He, he should have. And I was like, whoa, man. If the greatest Christian who ever lived said, I have not arrived, there are still things I struggle with. In fact, in Romans 7, he says, there are some things that I do that I should not do. There are some things that I should not do that I should do. And if Paul struggled with that, lo and behold, I certainly will as well. So y'all can just kind of breathe easy. Just think, okay, good. I, I'll never arrive here on this earth. And you won't, because there is an ongoing, daily, if not second-by-second battle with this thing called sin. And so we're going to look at it. Uh, it's pages 490 through 514 in the big book, and in your smaller books, it's pages 62 through 66. And we only have two points, but we got lots of scriptural support, sub-points. And um, the first point is the doctrine of sin proper Let's explain it. Let's give some scriptural foundation and basis to it. And then secondly, we're going to look at sin in the life of the believer. Because I'm assuming that if you're here this morning, you, you are a believer. You love God, and God has forgiven you and cleansed you of your sin. If you were to die at this very moment, you would go into the presence of Almighty God, and God would perhaps ask you this question, well, why should I let you into my heaven? You would say, because I was studying theology, and I deserve a little entrance in here. You know, I've been working hard down there, and, the, and that, would be, that would be the wrong answer. The answer is this. I don't deserve to be here, but Jesus. Just say his name. Jesus Christ, your son, died on the cross for me, arose from the dead. Hallelujah. I'm here by grace and by grace alone. Not of works, lest any of us should what? Help me. Any of us should boast. So sin, let's talk about it. The doctrine, explanation of it. Uh, Grudem defines sin like this. Any failure to conform to the moral law of God, any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, in attitude, or uh, in nature. He doesn't... Uh, somebody grab me a little cup of water if, if they could. That'd be wonderful. There may be some over there. Um, Grudem doesn't talk about this, but it, I thought about... 
the, the two types of sin, and maybe you've heard of it also, the, the sins of omission and the sins of, you remember, commission. I think that's a good breakdown, a good delineation of, of this broad category of sin. Sin of commission, that's a little easier. Thank you, Terry. Sin of commission is us doing things that we should not do. It's saying things that we should not say. It's thinking thoughts that we should not think. It's having attitudes that we should not have. That's sins of commission. Sins of omission are us not doing the things that we should do, not saying the things that we should say, not having the attitude that we should have, not doing the things that God would have us to do. And so those are kind of the two rubrics, the two broad categories of, of sins, sins of omission and sins of, sins of commission. Um, you've seen the ACTS acronym in dealing with uh, sin. You've got adoration. What's the next one? C. You've got confession. T stands for thanksgiving. And what does the S stand for? I had a professor in seminary, and I never heard it quite put quite like this. He says, all you guys, you're familiar with the ACTS acronym, aren't you? Yes, yes. He said, let me tell you something. We don't spend near as much time on three as we should, or two as we should, confession. And I got to thinking about that. You know, and and he went on to make this statement. When we really see God in his holiness, we will see us in our sinfulness. And for those that argue for entire sanctification, he takes us not only to Paul, but he takes us to Isaiah. When Isaiah saw the Lord, he said what? Whoa, <laughs> I am undone. I am a man of, somebody help me. Oh, he might have been a Baptist, you know what I'm saying? I'm a man of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the Lord. And he's like, man, I'm going to die. He is just so awesome. He is so, he is so holy. And Dr. Leafblad says, when we really see God like he is, we will do like Isaiah did. And we will say, God, forgive me, cleanse me. And so to enter into God's presence, just think about this this morning, early, early this morning. One of the first things I did was I praised the Lord and I thanked the Lord for another day to live. And then I just started quoting scripture. I just started saying, Lord, your word tells me in 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness, and Lord, I want to ask you this very morning to cleanse me, to forgive me of those things that I have done, those things that I have not done. You with me? I go through the whole process. And then Proverbs 28, 13 is one of my favorite verses that deals with sin and sin in the life of the believer. It says, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses them will find mercy and grace. If you cover your sin, we will not prosper, but if you, uh, if you confess them, and forsake them, you will have uh, mercy. <clears throat> David said in Psalm 139, 23, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way uh, everlasting. And David also said in Psalm 32, 5, and I love these. These are called penitential psalms. It's, it's psalms of repentance. It's psalms of, of confession. Psalm 32, 5 <clears throat> says, Let's see what I've got them here. Write your story on my heart. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity. I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave <clears throat> the iniquity of my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. This is on Psalm 51, 3 and 4. He says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless uh, when, when you judge. So it's interesting to me that David, who loved God, the Bible says he has a heart for God, is a man after God's own heart. In this incident with Bathsheba and other incidences in his life, he recognizes, he says, God, it's against you that I have sinned, and I pray that you would cleanse me and, and forgive me. Let me, let me give you a great theological statement. I wish I could take credit for this, but I cannot. I'll tell you where I learned this. Um, y'all remember the old CWT training? You remember that? CWT, Continuous Witness Training. Um, it's a lot like um, EE, Evangelism Explosion, or a lot like Faith, or lots of other, you know, the net and other... other uh, evangelism training. When CWT, when I was teaching this in the, in the seminary, 
there was a statement there about sin, and, and it's always stayed with me. And I'm going to give you this, and I, I think it's probably the most powerful thing I'm going to say today, except for um, when I'm quoting a scripture. And it goes like this. We are sinners by nature and by choice. That is a very good doctrinal statement. We are all sinners by nature, and we are sinners uh, by, by choice. And I'm going to extrapolate on that. I'm going to explain that as I go throughout this lecture this morning. You'll, you'll see me kind of harken back to that, that broad theological statement of all of us are sinners by our intrinsic, Adamic, sinful nature. And then if that's not bad enough, then we also are sinners by the very choices that we, that we make. The best definition in the Bible as far as what sin is is 1 John 3, 4. 1 John 3, 4 is the best definition of sin in the Bible. The Bible says sin is lawlessness. Sin is breaking the law. Could I ask you, whose law? That would be God's law. Whenever I share with a child and I talk to them about Christ, this is the litmus test of whether I will continue to go with them and talk to them about salvation or not. And the litmus test is always hamartiology. It's always the doctrine of, help me, doctrine of sin. If they don't understand what sin is and that they are sinners, how are they going to understand that they need a Savior? You know what I'm saying? And so when I, and just recently I came to a point with a child and, and I asked them about sin and they were like, I'm not so sure about what sin is. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to explain it to you, but mom and dad, we're not going to go any further because until they understand and have that conviction of what sin is, then, we re then I really don't have any right to lead them in a sinner's prayer and baptize them because that is the litmus test. And mom and dad were, that's cool, that's, that's good. That's why we're here, pastor. That's why we're here. We want, we want you to talk to them or her. Sin is breaking the law, the law of God, in attitude and action and thought and deed and in any of those capacities. That's what sin does. And sin breaks God's law, and it separates us from relationship and, and fellowship with him. You say, well, Brother Danny, you sure are taking sin very seriously. And I am, and I am surprised at how unseriously we take sin in, in our own culture today. I tell you guys, I, I get to the point sometimes, I just, I know I probably shouldn't use this word, but I almost just get depressed when I look at our culture. And when I try to turn the television on, there's nothing to watch. I mean, you know, really, hardly anything of substance. And so I guess that's why I just, I just do this a lot. I just, I just read a lot. You know, I just try to fill my mind with good and, and godly things. I watched um, a program not long ago, and it had this advertisement for uh, all one of these hot and steamy new sexy shows that's coming out. And it's had this guy in a, in a confessional booth. Do y'all know what that is? And, you know, in Roman Catholics, they have the... They have the little booth. You go in, and you can't see the priest. He's on the other side. And I'm like, by the way, that's just totally unnecessary. I mean, we have access. We don't need a man. We can go right to the Father because Jesus Christ has paved the way. And so anyhow, as he began to confess his sin, it began to show pictures and enactments of all the sins that he was confessing to the priest. And they were just laughing about it, just making a mockery out of it. And then just this week, uh, the 7th of this week, which would have been, what is it today? The 9th would have been Tuesday. I got an email. How in the world do I get these emails? I, I have no idea. But I have this email of this very attractive lady from here up, her neck up, and she's doing this. She's saying, shh. And I was like, what is this? And the caption reads, if you are married and you want to have an affair with a married woman, call me. And I can, hit, I can hook you up because there are people just like you that are married and want to go in some clandestine relationship with somebody who, who wants to have some sexual relationship with you even though she's married. Call this number. We'll take care of all the logistics and we, we will take care. I, said, I almost started crying. I said, God, what is this? What has our world come to? It's come to a place where we don't take sin very seriously. We, we think, well, it's just an all shucks, it's just part of humanity or whatever. No, it's not, and it's not that we just don't take sin very seriously. We don't know who God is. God is awesome. God is holy. God is other. God is amazing. And, and when we sin, and we do, we are separated from his awesome presence. 
And the only way we get back into his presence and in fellowship with him is to confess those sins and certainly not wallow in them and certainly not glorify them. You sound like you're preaching a little bit this morning? Well, I am. I am preaching just a little bit. Well, where in the world did sin come from? What is the origin of sin? This is a question I get, I get a lot. Maybe you get this as well. A lot of times people try to put sin on God as if God created everything, then certainly God created sin. I would say God did create the capacity for it, but he did not create it. You cannot associate sin with God. The Scripture never points to the origin, the nature of sin, to the, to the being or the essence of God. Let me give you a couple of Scriptures that highlight that. Uh, Deuteronomy 32.4, for example. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, He is the rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. Does it say some of his ways? No, it says all of his ways are justice. God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. How about this one, James 1.13? Let no one say that when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. In other words, evil and sin and iniquity, hamartia, those things are nowhere near his essence, his nature and being, because he's totally other. He's totally light and purity and holiness and righteousness and just, as Exodus 34 uh, tells us. So what about the origin of sin? Where did it come from? Well, sin has not always existed. Do you know that? Sin has not always existed. Um, but it did come into existence. <laughs> Grudem says, I'll tell you when it came into existence. It came into existence between Genesis 1.31 and Genesis 2.9. I thought that was really interesting. Because one thirty one says God made everything, and then behold, it was what? It was good. Genesis 2.6 or Genesis 2.9 says, You can eat of all the trees. You can have it all, but you can't have that one. The knowledge of good and... He says, so somewhere, that's where it happened. That's where Satan fell. That's where sin entered into our world. I've read other people who said, well... Uh, no, no, sin entered before that in a pre-cosmic fall of Satan where sin entered the universe, if, if, if you will. I don't know. I just know it's here, and it's, it's real. I know it has nothing to do with God's nature, but I also do know this, and this is a good, good word that Grudem gives us here. God certainly does not take pleasure in sin. Nonetheless, for his own purposes... And in a way that still remains largely a mystery to us, God ordained that sin would come into the world. That's a powerful statement. God did not, I'll read it again, God did not create it. You cannot point the finger to God as if God did this, God caused this, no. He says, God certainly does not take pleasure in sin nonetheless for his own purposes, and in a way that still remains largely a mystery to us, God ordained that sin would come into the world. And it makes me think of the verse that says, "In Jesus slain from the foundation of the world. Before Christ, the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity, before Jesus Christ takes upon human flesh, and before he lives his life and dies the vicarious substitutionary death on the cross, all of that was in the mind and the heart of God the Father. Because it says, before the foundation of the world, God... He said he knew everything. He knew all that would transpire. And even then, he had already made provision for what would enter into the world, what would separate us from him. And, of course, that is, that is sin. Sin has not changed much uh, from its uh, inception. It's always struck at God, the nature of God, the moral uh, standards uh, of God. God said, do not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Satan comes, remember this? And this he, he, somebody said, you know, Satan hadn't changed much in all of his existence. His tricks and his ways are, are pretty much the same. Satan said, no, no, it's all right to eat it. Even though God said, don't eat it, he asked this question. He said, hey, did God really say that? In Genesis 3, 1, and then he boldly lied in verse 4 when he said through the serpent, oh, you will not surely die. And so you see, and this is so prominent and prevalent in our culture today, yeah, I, 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 know, I know what that says, but that, that doesn't apply to us today. You know, I, I know what Leviticus says, and I know even kind of Romans kind of hints at that. But, but listen, 
there's a, there's a real popular song out today that says, why will we let a 2,500-year-old book talk about our sexuality? That's a very popular song on the radio today. Why will we let a 2,500-year-old book tell us how our sexual mores, how we're going to, to live our life? I think that is just Satan all over it, just questioning the truthfulness of God, the, the, the veracity of, of, of Scripture. Sin is irrational. It does not make sense, but we do it uh, anyhow. For Satan to think he could exalt himself above God, remember Isaiah 12, remember Ezekiel 28, remember Revelation talks about, and and he falls, a a third of the angels fall with him, because he says, I will elevate myself up to the Most High. And it's so irrational, it's so, so incongruent, but he did it and we do it as well, even though it doesn't make any sense. For the fool to say in his heart, there is no God, that makes absolutely no sense. Does it not? There is no God. That, that, is, that is foolishness. Well, what about some more of this, this whole sin idea? Where does it come from? I attribute it more to Satan and the fall of the, uh, the demons, the angels who became demons. But what about sin in us? Where does it get its uh, origin? How, how should we approach this? Well, Scripture teaches that man has inherited sin It's also called the doctrine of original sin from our first father, Adam. It's also referred to as the Adamic uh, nature. And Romans talks about this uh, fully. In fact, Romans 5.12, we'll look at this verse. Just as through one man, I'll go ahead and tell you what the context of that is. That's Adam. Okay, he's been talking about Adam. Through one man, sin entered the world. And death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. Some people say, well, I don't know that I like that. I, I, don't, I don't think I agree with that. I don't think that's fair to say that Adam and Eve sinned, and shazam, we get the sin gene. You know, we, we all are sinners. Because, that's exactly what Scripture teaches. Sometimes you just have to read Scripture and say, I might not understand that. But that's, that's what the Bible says. And it's very clearly that's what the Bible says, that sin entered the world and through Adam's sin, we, we all die. I like to tell people, if you have a hard time with that, what if you were Adam? You'd done the same thing. What if you were Eve? You would have done the exact same thing. They are our parents. <laughs> they represented us, and we would have done the same thing. I like what Grudem says to those who argue at this. He says, well, if we think that's unfair for us to be represented by Adam, then we should also think it's unfair to be represented by Christ who gives to all who believe this uh, righteousness. Romans 5.19 addresses that when he says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, okay, Adam, so also by one man's obedience many will be made uh, righteous. David points out the truth of this in Psalm 51 when he says in verse 5, he says, While I was in my mother's womb, I was brought forth in iniquity, okay? I was born in sin. We are sinners by nature and by... Don't forget that. I, I'm, I think that's the most important thing I could share with y'all this morning. As far as the doctrine of hamartiology, the doctrine of sin, we are sinners by nature uh, and by choice. If you don't believe it, have children. Have preschoolers, <laughs> It's just amazing how creatively sinful they are. I mean, you don't have to teach them. You don't have to show them. It's just part of their, it's part of their nature. Okay, in our actions, we cannot do spiritual good uh, before God. The Bible points this out. There is none righteous, no, not one. Not that we cannot do a good deed as lost people, but that we cannot live a spiritually pleasing life to God. Romans 8, 8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot uh, please God. We may do a noble deed. In fact, some of the most kind, generous, giving people I have ever met in my life are lost people. I'm just telling you, true. Not that they can't do a noble deed, not that they cannot be helpful or kind, but that's way different than dealing with the sin nature. They can never do anything that's of eternal value before God because they have this sin nature, this Adamic nature, this intrinsic, inherited sinfulness that separates them from their Creator, who is holy God. 
So this is some of the, uh, the doctrine of sin, just kind of a description of it, definition of it, some little bit of explanation of it. Now I want to talk about it a little more pointedly about sin in the life of, of a believer. Or it's number two in your outline there. Everybody get a little outline? I think we got them there. Um, got lots of scripture and um, just a couple of points here. A sin in, in our lives. What, is that, what does that look like? Well, as I said earlier, all humanity has sinned before God. By nature, we're sinners. We're born in sin, and by choice, we commit sinful deeds. Psalm 14, 3, Romans 3, 23 teaches this. They have all turned aside. Uh, Psalm 14, 3, can we grab that one? They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. And then Romans 3.23 says, For some have sinned. Thank you, bud. For all have sinned. And done what? Fallen short of the glory of God, the holiness of God, the expectation of God. Uh, there was a guy in the 4th century, uh, 5th century B.C. in Rome and in Palestine, a man by the name of Pelagius. And Pelagius taught that man can actually take the first steps of salvation toward God without any help from God. He believed that, well, we can just uh, on our own, because well, we're sinful, but we're not really that sinful. I mean, we can, we can make our way to God without any drawing of the Holy Spirit, without any movement of God to us. No, we can do it. And they condemned him as a, as a heretic, the Council of Carthage in A.D. 418, because he, he missed something. He missed that we are absolutely sinful by nature and by choice. And, and were it not for the grace of God and the wooing of God and the movement of God upon us, we would all die and go to hell, and we'd get exactly what we deserve. Ephesians 2, 1 says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So you're going to leave today, you're going to go to work, and somebody's going to ask you, so what did y'all talk about? You're going to say, we're just a bunch of sinners going to hell. That's, what, that's all he said. He just said we're just a bunch of sinners. But that's, that's, that's not all the truth of it. We are sinners bound for hell. But you know what? The more I see the blackness and the ugliness and the night of sin, oh, how much more does the radiant and the love and the power of God break through? Because we are hopeless. We are doomed unless God reaches down and delivers us. Can you not say amen to that? I mean, I mean think about it. We are doomed and we are going to be destroyed. But God, in the fullness of time, sent forth His Son, and He comes to, uh, to redeem. Okay, since we're so sinful, what about infants? Let's talk about uh, infants. Grudem struggles with this. I'm going to just go ahead and tell you. He honestly has a hard time with this. He, he wants to say, well, that's, infants just die and go to heaven, but he won't. He won't say that. He says, well, the infants of Christians have a better chance than the infants of non-Christians. But we've got to do something with this original sin, with this inherited sin, and so... You could just, I feel it for him. I mean, I read the angst and, the, and just the anguish in him. I don't have that, by the way. I have no angst or no anguish whatsoever with this. And you may, you may agree with Grudem, you may disagree with me. But I believe every aborted child is going to heaven. I just do. And I believe every infant or child that dies that has not reached the age of accountability, if you will, though that's nowhere in Scripture, and I know that. The closest you can get is Romans, that we're all accountable. But I just... I'm not minimizing sin. I do get it that we are sinners by nature and by choice. Um, you say, well, what, what scripture do you appeal to that would give infants or to give those born in sin, give them hope? And I'll give you the scripture that he gives. And he struggles with this. And he will tell you that he, this, this verse would bother him. And it's 2 Samuel 12, 23, where the infant son of David and Bathsheba dies. And David says, and I quote, I shall go to him but he will not return to me. Um, where's David going when he dies? He's going to heaven. And he said, I'm going to go to him, but this son is departed from this life. He will never come to me on earth, but I will go and be with him uh, in heaven. So that's a little bit about uh, infant, uh, infants and inherited sin and, and sinners by nature, by choice. Um, I'll let you wrestle with that. Some of you are like, that's not a wrestling. That don't bother me at all. But you got you to work through that a little bit and, and try to come out where you feel the Lord would lead you. What about degrees of sin? Are all sins the same? 
Yes and no, you know. Uh, sin is sin, but would you not agree with me that the ramifications or the consequences of some sins are far greater than other sins? Uh, Grudem gives some good definitions or some illustrations of this when he says, it would be a sin for me to covet my neighbor's car, okay? He said, but it would be a greater sin for me if I went over here and whacked him on the head and stole his car. He said, so the sin is sin, but there are degrees of sin. I use the analogy, if I go into a grocery store and, and steal a piece of bubble gum, which I used to have a friend who did that. It was, it was amazing to watch him. He was a thief. And I, and I would watch him. He was, just, he, was, he was great at it. Ray was his name. I was just a little lost, hell-bound fella. I'm, I'm telling you, I was, just, I was in not a good place as a, as a youngster, okay? And I would watch him, and he would go take the price tag off of this cheap little toy and, uh, or this expensive toy. He'd put that price tag on the expensive uh, toy. Now, this is the day before a lot of scanning and stuff. And so at the register... She would say, wow, we must really put that on sale. And I'd just go, oh, my word, he's going to get away with it. He'd get away with it. I mean, he's just a, he's just a little thief. I can't remember that, but I, I do. I remember him. But sin is, um, well, sin is sin, but there are consequences, greater consequences and ramifications for, for some sins over, over others. Um, Jesus told Pilate, he who delivered me to you has the greater Sin. What is he talking about? Jesus said to Pilate, He who delivered me to you. Who's that? That would be Judas. He has the greater sin than you, Pilate. He knows better. I've been with him three years. He's seen me. He's watched me. Sin is greater. Then Ezekiel 8, the prophet speaks of the people seeing still greater uh, abominations. So... I think about Jonathan Edwards' uh, sermon. He preached a whole sermon, and the title of it is The, Judge, the Justice of God in the Damnation of Sinners. Mm. The Justice of God in the Damnation of, of Sinners. We get it. We get what we uh, deserve. He gives, he, he gives another definition or, or an example. He says, if a believer, uh, if a non-believer gets in a scuffle, gets in a fight with somebody... You know, that's wrong, because I mean, you should not fight. You should work out your uh, disagreements uh, agreeably, amicably. He said, but for a believer or a pastor that get into a fisticuffs, Grudem says, that's a greater sin because he ought to know better. And James 3.1 says, we are brought to a, to a, higher, a higher standard. <laughs> Reminds me of the pastor that did get in a fight with the town bully. True story. The town bully and the pastor got in a fight. Knock down, duke them out, drag them out, fight. And the pastor put a whooping on the bully. He says, the greatest mistake of my life. For the rest of my life, I was known as the pastor that beat up the bully. He said, I could never get over that. And it, it tainted, it hurt my ministry for the rest of my life. Bullies come after me, I'm just going to run. I can run, I can run fast. Amen. don't want to be tainted for the rest, rest of my life. All right. You know, talking about the degree of sin or the consequences of sin, th this will help us when we're dealing with things like church discipline, okay? Because not all sin is of equal value to sin. I mean, we're, we're not going to bring somebody to church discipline if, if they're gossiping or if they're, you know, speeding down the road or whatever. That's sin, but, but when you violate in a more conspicuous way, the laws of God and your marriage and so forth, and then that warrants more of a corporate, um, corporate dealing with it. Well, what happens when a follower of Christ sins? Let's talk about that. What happens to us when, you see what I'm talking about, this hammer theology thing? It just goes on and on and on. And we didn't got to the unpardonable sin, and we haven't even got to the point where John says, there is a sin uh, leading to death. Don't pray about that. There is sin not leading to death. You can pray about that. But there is a sin that leads to death. Don't, don't pray about that in 1 John 5. I spent a lot of time in that this week saying, have you ever read the Bible and said, what in the world does that mean? In fact, I did that a lot when I was studying the book of Revelation. I was like, I'd scratch my head and go, what is that? Who is that person? Where did that come from? And I'd just pour myself into it and study it. And that's why I love theology. That's why I love God's Word. 
because we'll never get a monopoly on it. None of us will ever arrive and say, well, I've arrived. I know more than God does now. We're all in process, but I sure love it if a teacher or a preacher would be honest and say, I want to wrestle with this with you. Here's what I think. Here's what I think it means, and just kind of go through it. Okay, so let's talk about what happens when a follower of Christ sins. Notice not if, but when. First of all, our legal standing before God does not change. Our legal standing, the justification before God does not change. The Bible says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a blessed thought and a liberating thought. What about a Christian who says he's a Christian and commits suicide? Have y'all not had these questions before? I mean, really serious. Why Have you not? Somebody asked, what about infants? Where'd sin come from? Well, well what, about, uh, what about a guy who said he was a Christian and he killed himself? Well, you know what the, I think the Roman Catholics, I think I know what they say about that. Too bad. Well, what, what, what do you think Scripture might say uh, about that? I like the way Grudem approaches this. The key word is Christian. The fact that we have sin remaining in our lives at death does not mean that we lose our status as God's children. In theological terms, we never lose our adoption. I believe that. I, I agree. I agree with that. Man, it just breaks my heart when I think about people who do that. And the people in my own family who've done that. And to get to that point where life, they think, is so utterly hopeless that they would, they would, take, they would take their lives. It's, it's heartbreaking. Secondly, when a Christian sins, our fellowship with God is disrupted and our witness is damaged. I think we can all agree with that. Our legal justification, adoption, regeneration, redemption, that does not change, but our relationship and fellowship with Him does change, and our witness is damaged. Whether it's sins of commission or omission, there are still consequences. Aren't you glad that God still loves us, even while we are yet sinners? Westminster Confession of Faith puts it well. Quote, when it says, Although they never can fall from the state of justification, yet they may by their sins fall under God's fatherly displeasure and not have the light of His countenance restored unto them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, beg His pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. Talked about when, when we sin, as God's children, when we sin... God does discipline us. We know that in Hebrews 12, 10. Whom the Lord loves, whom a father loves, he chastises. He, he disciplines. I've said this from the pulpit, and I'll say it again. That's one of the ways I definitely know I'm going to heaven because I can't get away with nothing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, God, he loves me so much that he spanks me and gets me, and, and gets me back in line. Aren't you grateful for 1 John 1, 9 we quoted a minute ago? The prayer of Jesus in Matthew 6, 12, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who, who sin against, against us. Sin is very serious, and even though we are uh, church members, or even though we say we love the Lord and we walk with the Lord, none of us, I just believe this, none of us ever reach a point where we are sinless. In fact, those who say they are, I think they're already sinning because they're proud of it. Because they're like, oh, look at me. You know, look, look what I've done. No, no, no. That's, you can't, can't be that way. Well, what about the person who says, man, I asked Jesus in my heart, and I was baptized. I can live like the devil, but I'm on my way to glory. Amen. I signed the card. I asked Jesus in my heart. I prayed and asked Jesus in my heart, and I got baptized. I am free. I am free to live like I want to live. What do you all think about those people? Those people are everywhere in America. I mean, I, tell you, I cannot get on a plane and fly anywhere, and I did not talk to somebody, oh, I've already done that. Well, where do you go to church? I don't go to church anywhere. When's the last time you shared your, your faith with somebody? Pfft, I don't do that. But you're going to heaven. Absolutely, man. Me and God, the man upstairs. Whenever they say that, I'm always concerned. Well, the Bible never calls him the man upstairs, all right? In fact, there was a, a couple that wanted to get married in one of my churches I was pastoring, and you have to run the music by the pastoral staff, and they said, I tip my hat to the man upstairs. And I said, no, we're not singing that. They said, why not? I said, because that's not who he is. He is a holy, awesome, amazing God. He's not the man upstairs. 
I got the spiritual gift of upsetting people, and I upset, I, I upset them. I did. Well, the Bible says, he who continually, habitually lives in sin is not born of God. That's what 1 John teaches us over and over. If you continually, habitually, with no remorse, no conviction, of, you just indulge in sin, you, you're not born of God. You don't have the Spirit of God living uh, within you. What about the unpardonable sin? Is there a sin that is so egregious that God will not pardon it? And the answer to that is yes. Um, John, you and Brother Dan, you believe some people are gone so far? Yes. It's not so much that God cannot do something, it's just that God keeps His Word. And He explains who these people are. Let, let me read this to you in Matthew uh, 12. I wish I had time to explain more the whole context of the unpardonable sin because it goes something like this. The Pharisees are pointing at Jesus, and they've seen the Spirit of God working in him. They've seen the miracles that he's done. And they said, you're not of God. You are of, anybody? You're of Satan. It's Beelzebub. That's how you're doing all these mighty works. And within that context, okay, Jesus said this, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but not this one. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. I think Hebrews 6 kind of leans itself toward this unpardonable sin where you have those described who have tasted the heavenly gift. They have seen all this amazing work of God. They have been exposed to so much. And for them to turn away, it's impossible to renew them to repentance again. A lot of people think that's apostasy. That means it's people who were saved and now they've lost their salvation. Listen, I don't believe that at all. I can't wait. One of the lectures I'm writing, in fact, I'm going to be working on it today. It's lecture 15. It's on the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Because if a person is genuinely saved, they will, they will last. They will go to the end with Christ. But those who who fall away, if you will, I believe they never were in the family uh, in the first place. They have been enlightened. They tasted the heavenly gift. They tasted the word of God, but they never were committed. If these are not, if these are not saved once they come that close, they'll never be saved. I know people like this. I know there are people in my life that are very near and dear to me, and they would say, let me tell you something. I don't believe that stuff anymore. It's a bunch of baloney. And they have seen it. They've been exposed to it. They, may even, they even made a profession of it. And that just, it just almost takes my breath away. Don't pray for that person anymore. I, I struggle with that. But if I believe my Bible, and I believe if it does teach that that can happen, and people do cross that, then that is an incredibly dangerous place to be. Some thoughts about the unpardonable sin. Some believe this sin could only have been committed when Jesus was on earth. And Grudem says, not so fast. Uh, no, look at Hebrews 6. That's way after Jesus was on earth. And Hebrews 6, he believes, talks about this unpardonable sin. Number two, some believe that the unpardonable sin is the sin of unbelief. It's just unbelief that unbelievers have until the time of their death. But that's not true. The biblical text speaks more specifically, one who blasphemes the Holy Spirit, one who shows contempt for Christ, somebody who has seen the work of God. They have been exposed to the preaching and the teaching of God. They have tasted it. They've been enlightened. And for them then, that's, that's where they are. To them then they say, no, it's all a bunch of baloney. It's all a bunch of devil stuff. I don't believe in it. You say, Brother Dan, there are not people. There are people who are like that. I'm telling you, I just had a conversation not long ago with a person exactly like this. And it just broke my heart. And there was no talking to him. There was no talking to him. What, what was I going to say? God loves you. You've sinned. You need to repent. and go. He knows all that. And totally rejects it. Says it's all a bunch of poppycock. <laughs> it's all a bunch of dung. I don't, I don't want to hear it again. It's scary. Number three, some believe uh, it's just apostasy by believers who lose their salvation. We talked about that a minute ago. I, just, I don't think they were ever genuinely saved. 
Uh, Number four, those committing the sin willfully and maliciously slander the Holy Spirit's work in Jesus' life. They attribute it to Satan. We talked about that. The Pharisees had seen Jesus do mighty works on many occasions, yet they did not believe he had come from God. Rather, they said, he has come from Satan. Uh, He is a deceiver like uh, Beelzebub. Okay? Wow. I don't know about y'all. I struggle with this. I just, I just struggle that somebody could be that far gone, and yet, yet they can. This person is unreachable with the gospel because they've already heard the gospel, and they have outrightly rejected it. The sin is not so great that God could not forgive, but the heart is so hardened that it could never now uh, be, be reached. The unpardonable sin. Remember, it's not just the sin of unbelief. It's because there's a lot of people walking around here today, so I don't believe that, and then eventually they, they will believe, they will get converted. Now, we're talking about people who have heard, 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 seen, 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 experienced, experienced much, and then they willfully reject it and walk away from it and blaspheme God and say, it's all that. That's, that's what you got to keep in mind when you talk about the unpardonable sin. Well, let's talk about this last thing, and this is one that I think is really interesting too, and it's called the... Uh, the sin leading to death and the sin not leading to death. And this is, um, I hear music, Brother Terry. It's coming out of this speaker here. Or, can you turn that off, Rick? I want to break out in song if I knew it, but I don't, I don't know. Y'all can't hear it, can you? But I can hear it. I've been hearing it for about an hour. I've just been kind of up here having a good time. Thank you, brother. It's gone. It's gone now. Okay, let's read 1 John 5, 16 and 17, make a few comments on it, and then we'll, then we'll be dismissed, okay? Because this follows, falls under this rubric of hamartiology, or this doctrine of, of sin. Let me read it to you. It's 1 John 5, and it's 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother, read this carefully, okay? This is, this is interesting. If anyone sees his brother, now anytime the Bible refers to brother in this context, it's referring to a believer, okay? If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death, okay? Now he's talking about a brother that's sinning, and I don't know what he's doing, but he's doing something, and we pray for him, and and we're asking God to forgive him and God to bring him back to us or, or whatever. But then he says, there is sin leading to death. Now notice he doesn't use the word brother in this part. He says, there is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All right, I do not say that we ought to pray about the sin that leads to death. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading uh, to death. So, well, what does this mean? Have you, ever, have you ever read your Bible and go, wow, what is that? What, what does this mean? Well, I'm going to give you just a couple of interpretations and people that I've read, and I'll, and I'll share this with you. I think the sin not leading to death, again, it relates to a brother. It's someone who has committed sins, which do not indicate that forgiveness is no longer uh, possible. Now, could it be the unpardonable sin? I think it could be. It might be that unpardonable sin. Grudem doesn't, doesn't think so. He thinks it's more apostasy of false teachers. He thinks it's those who have apostatized, who said they were Christians, but now they're saying they're really not Christians, they never were Christians in the first place, and now they're teaching these uh, heinous, heinous heretical doctrines. Um, these are unbelievers that believers should not uh, pray for. Dr. Aiken at Southeastern Seminary, I read his commentary on this. He said, these are those who have total rejection of the gospel. He, he kind of puts them in that category of those who are the false teachers. And by the way, in the context of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, it has a lot to do with these uh, antinomian Gnostic heretics, okay? And Dr. Aiken says, this view holds that the text is referring to total apostasy, the rejection of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and denial of the faith. And one writer says that it is possible to close the heart against the influence of God's Spirit so obstinately and persistently that repentance becomes a moral impossibility. 
And John, they believe, say, you shouldn't even pray about that for, for, those, for those people. All right? I've got just a couple minutes, and I've got two sections here, and I am determined to finish Lecture 8. I am determined to finish it. So I'm going to redeem my time here, my four, um, my four minutes. Let me, let me sum it up like this. I think I can say it like this. Um, God takes sin very, very seriously. Obviously, it's, it costs the life of His Son to redeem us mortals who are on our way to hell so that we could be forgiven, Okay. But even if we are forgiven and we come to faith in Christ, God still takes sin seriously because it breaks, it separates us in that fellowship with, with God. And that's why we have to come daily, moment by moment, I believe. As soon as we know, as soon as we know we've sinned, just ask the Lord to, to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me right now, Lord, from all uh, unrighteousness. But how do we deal with sin in the lives of others? And how do we deal with sins that seem to continue to get a grip on us. How do we deal with sin in the life of others? I'm going to quickly just say the best way we respond to people in sin is what Jesus did in John 8, 12. Woman, where are your accusers? They're not here, Lord. They all threw their stones down because they all left. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Somebody help me. Go and sin no more. So he has this amazing mixture of justice and grace. Law and grace. This beautiful epitome, this personification of, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What about our besetting sins? What about those sins that, man, we, we wrestle with and, and, we, and we deal with? What, that, that causes us to be upset or causes us to be offended. I got a good word for you, and I got two minutes, and I want to share this word with you. I was driving down the road uh, the other day, and I, I listened to an interview of Michael W. Smith. And Michael W. Smith is a Christian contemporary artist. And he says, my goal in life is to reach the point, as a Christian, I'm never offended. And I thought, wow. Get to the point where you can say, I am not offended. People can do stuff to me. People can hurt me. People can say things about me. People can misunderstand me. And my, our default position is what? It's to get mad, to retaliate, to set the score right. And he says, I want to get to the point where somebody does that, says that, that I just say, I'm not, I'm not offended by that. Wouldn't that be a great place to be? Well, think about the huge chip that God would knock off our shoulder if we went ahead. So I, I'm trying it. You know, I got offended the other day. Imagine that. Somebody offended Brother Danny, one of our church members. You know, and they said something. It just, it just kind of hurt me. And, um, and here's the thing. They didn't even realize they hurt me. And so 4 o'clock a few mornings ago, 4 o'clock in the morning, I wake up going, why did that person say that? And what was that person thinking? And the Holy Spirit's like, you really going to let that bother you, aren't you? You know, it would be a lot easier if you just let that go and don't be offended by it. And you know what I did? I just said, Lord, this is not a really a big deal. I don't need to call that person. I don't need to stand my case. I don't need to state this or state that. I just need to, I just need to let that go. Let me, let me tell you all something, by the way. If you wake up in the middle of the night with, a, with a, a difficult situation and, man, you're worried about something, that's not of God. I just want to go ahead and tell you that. God is a God of peace and rest and joy. And if you wake up in the middle of the night and you just got all these thoughts, and, and here's what I do. I pray and I watch ESPN. Amen. That's, that's how I get over it. I just pray, Lord, help me, and I just go watch ESPN and go right back to sleep. But I wanted to close with that because a lot of us, or a lot of folks who used to be with us, get so offended, so angry, Instead of just letting it go and say, God, you take care of it. This is my church, or this is my brother, and I love them. Well, I will leave. And I think they make a tragic mistake. I really do, because it's so easy to be uh, offended. And it's so hard just to, just to let it go. But man, I tell you, I'm starting to do that. And, and Michael W. Smith says, I know a pastor, for 14 years he's never been offended. For 14 years he's gotten to a place where he's just like, it's not that he's cavalier or just don't care kind of thing. He's just like, no, I'm just not going to take that. You know, like, Kyle, I'm not going to take it. Take it right here. That's the way Kyle describes it. Just take it in and just, you know, be angry about it. Just be free and just, just let, it, let it go. So, 
Some of you are saying, I could have followed you all the way to the point until you said that. Now you've gotten up in my world a little bit, you know, and now I don't, I don't know about that because I kind of like being mad. I kind of like being offended when people get upset with me. I just let it, let it go. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for this doctrine of sin. And Lord, it's, it has many tentacles, and it runs throughout the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. But thank you, Lord, there is a place and there is a time where it will totally cease. God, we thank you that in heaven there is no sin, there is no more sea, no turbulence, no difficulty, there is no sin. And God, we pray that in between that time and this time, that we would live a life, Lord, that is pleasing unto you. And Lord, we know that uh, we will sin. We are sinners by nature and by choice. We know you've redeemed us, but even then, Lord, we still battle with this Adamic nature, with this original sin and and so, Lord, we just pray that you'd give us victory. And, Lord, help us just to forgive as we have been forgiven. Help us, Lord, not to be offended. Jesus, you said, blessed are those who are not offended because of me. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd bless our people now as they go. Some will go to work. Some will go to play. Some will go uh, and just be and doing chores and things they need to do. And I just pray that, Holy Spirit of God, you would encourage them and bless them and help them be a strong witness for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you folks that are watching us online. Hello. Goodbye.